Welcome to the Lord's House for Worship today. Why do they do it? Why do they bring you the Word of God here in the classroom? Why do they want to represent Jesus? Today, our readings look at the kind of people Jesus sends out, who stands behind them, and why they want to share this with you over doing anything else. Order of service is found in your worship folder. At this time, let's begin with our opening hymn, 3-8. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, let us approach God with a true heart and confess our sins, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought very low. I groan in anguish of heart. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In Jesus, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have been brought from death to life. 
sin shall not be our master, because we are not under law, but under grace. Lord, I Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. First lesson from Jonah, chapter 3. Well, what stands behind the people who stand at the front of church or at the front of the classroom? The one who says, Go. Jesus tells people to go. He has a message to share, and there's an authority behind that word from him. And so he's behind these people. We read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, 
and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The word of the Lord. Continue with the song. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Hear an anthem from grades 5th through 8th. Please stand. The Gospel from Mark chapter 1, why do this job? Not just because there's an authority behind it, but because of Christ's love. It's compelling. We read, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon 
and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for the end. Jesus, who has reconciled the world to himself, brothers and sisters in him. I'm going to start out very, very basically. The lesson before us today is from 2 Corinthians, and without insulting your intelligence, that means there was also a 1 Corinthians. Those are letters, letters to churches. The Apostle Paul wrote them both. The letter to the 1 Corinthians that he wrote was very testy very blunt, very direct, maybe even a hint aggressive. The Corinthian congregation at that time had a lot of spiritual issues. They were a dysfunctional spiritual family. They had a lot to deal with. And so Paul wrote that punchy letter to them almost hesitantly, and he didn't know how they'd take it. He got word back. You can imagine how communication didn't work well back then. A number of months later, he received word back. They were humble. They received it well. They paid attention to it. They repented. They took these things to heart. They put them into practice. 
And they, with God's word, healed or fixed a number of things that were really going sideways and south. You can imagine what an impression that made on the apostles. And so now he wants to write a second letter to them, 2 Corinthians. And you can imagine the tone is very, very different. It's much more, not that there wasn't positivity in the first one, but it's much more positive, much more encouraging, and he's able to get at a number of further doctrinal things that he couldn't get at in the first letter because they're just, they weren't ready for it. But there is one issue in particular that carries over from letter number one to letter number two. And it has to do with Paul's authority. Same thing happens every now and then in my ministry too, and it's going to happen in the ministry of every single pastor, maybe teacher and staff minister too, that, that when you have to deal with dicey, sticky situations, ones where somebody's caught up in sin, somebody it's just a, a tense situation, and so the pastor comes in and brings God's word and look at it, read it, talk it through. The word of God is made clear because there was sin and sinful attitudes and sinful actions. You, you can imagine it's not going to be an easy situation. And, and often then what happens or can happen is, is somebody understands what the word of God is saying. And they understand, you know, you're not going to go up against the Lord and you're not going to change the word. It, it's right there. It's clear. So where are you going to express and vent your frustration? If you can't take it out on the word, if you can't take it out on God, Pastor Miller, remind me again, who do you think you are? Remind me again, where do you get the right to say this? Where do you get this authority? You know what? I'm going to go talk to five or ten other pastors and see what they think about this situation. I'm going to explain this stuff to them and talk to them about this, and then I will get back to you. So even if the tone has changed from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, it's very different, very positive. There's still a tension behind the scenes, and it shows up in our text for today. And there's still a tension here today, too. With sin and unbelief, right in this audience as well. And this is exactly why Christ Jesus continues to send out ministers, pastors, teachers, called workers, staff ministers today. Because he wants to stop the tension. He wants to deal with the tension. There's no reason for this anymore. Because he's dealt fully with sin. And the Apostle Paul makes that clear from the very opening verse. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. Do you want to know why Paul did his ministry? Why he wanted to do this after the Lord called him? Do you want to understand why people stand here or in the classrooms or help with music and It's because they understand deeply and well that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the only Holy Son of God, came here into this world and he offered his life for free, willingly, completely, on his own, voluntarily, and he went to a cross for sinners, for them all, for the entire world of sinners. He exchanged his life for all. He did it on behalf of all, for all, in place of all, for every single one of them. When Christ died, the world died. The world died when Jesus went to that cross, which means you died too. The word all and world is smattered throughout all of these verses. And please note very, very clearly that when Jesus did this work, there's no limit for whom he did it. This isn't, he did it for these particular people. He did it for this little group over here. He did it for some. Or his sacrifice on the cross, the death that he gave, was only for those who would one day believe in him. That's garbage theology. He did it for all. 
He did it for the world. There's nothing limited whatsoever in here. When Christ died on the cross, he died for every single sinner to make sure you would know you're included. Look at the extent of his generosity. And so when Jesus came, he understood that you and I had this sinful record and he ended that sinful streak by breaking our broken record. He is the only one who perfectly Paid for sin by being that perfect sin sacrifice. Do you know what that makes him? It makes him the authority. It makes him the authority on everything spiritual. It makes him the authority on sin and grace, on life and death, on your soul and body. And it's not just what he did that Paul draws out here by going to a cross that makes him the authority. It's why he did it. It's the fact that he did it willingly. It's the fact that he wanted to do it. It's the fact that he did this in love. Paul writes, Christ's love compels us. That's why Paul did what he did. It's not, it's not Paul's love of Christ for why he wanted to be a pastor, though there's a proper response. It's Christ's love for Paul that moved his heart for why he wanted to keep doing this. It's Christ's love for the rest of the missionaries that were with Paul. He says the word us there. Christ's love compels us. He's talking about himself and his other missionaries that are with him doing this work. In fact, so compelling is the love of Christ that it changed the way they saw the world. And he says it here. So from now on, we no longer regard anybody from a worldly point of view. You know what that means? It means whether somebody treated them nicely or not on his missionary trip, whether somebody was friendly or not with them, whether somebody listened to him or not, whether somebody supported his ministry or trashed his ministry. Do, do you know what he saw, what, what his and the other missionaries' perspectives were? We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We see every single person that we come across as a soul that Jesus bought when he died on the cross. We see every single person as somebody for whom Jesus died and he loves them to the end of his life and to the taking it back in the resurrection. And he desperately wanted the tension to end. And so he wanted them to know the depth of the results of what this ministry of what Christ did, this ministry of reconciliation, he wanted them to know these results and what it meant for them. And he spells it out. He says... All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. When, when there's a fight on earth, when there's tension between two parties, there's sin on both sides. Neither one is going to be 100% innocent in and of itself because you're always on earth dealing with two sinful entities. That's not the case here. That's not the case in our lesson. There's nothing wrong with God. He's holy. He's always been. He always will be. And so you'll never see any language in 2 Corinthians 5 that says God needed to be reconciled. God needed to be brought back in line. There was something wrong with God, and, and so somebody had to come in and deal with this God issue. No, you see it the other way. There's something wrong with people. People needed to be brought back in line. And so the person who comes in to do that work of reconciliation doesn't take any offense away from God so that you and I would like God more. God, stop being holy so that we're going to get along better. Uh, uh The person who comes in and helps a situation takes the offense away from people, takes the offense away from them, and places it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He's the one who changes things. In fact, that's exactly what the word reconciliation means at its root. It means a change, to make something other than what it is. I think you have to stop and ask, what does that mean? Because God didn't change. God was holy and he continues to be holy. So God isn't other than what he is. What changed? Because, because we continue to sin, 
And, and so in and of itself, we didn't change. We didn't become other than what we are. What changed here? And the answer is, Jesus brought the change. By taking our offense onto his own shoulders, he changed the way God sees us in Christ. He reconciled the world. And so he took the consequences of what you and I rightfully deserve, even though every day we still step into it and get into it. He took the consequences of what the entire world deserved when he went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, God no longer counted the world's sins against them. What changed? Your entire status changed. God brought you in Christ back in line with himself so that out of two parties that were on completely different sides in Christ, it's one. And this completely changed for the entire world of people. Unless, of course, somebody doesn't want it. You'll notice there are still open seats again in the pews today, and I like to point this out every now and then. And some people are sleeping in today, and they'll sleep in next Sunday. And, and there are a number of people that are walking away from Christianity and, and are rejecting this gospel message. There are some people who are stubbornly persisting in sin and, and sticking with what they want to do in life. And they don't want to repent. They don't want to do what the Corinthians did and humble themselves and take this message to heart. And so they're persisting in this stuff. And there might even be some people here who are being contrarian yet. <clears throat> taking the opposite from the word of God. And there are some people maybe who are delving still in tension and wanting to persist these thing, in these things and undermine the gospel ministry like some of the Corinthians were with Paul. Don't let that be you. Can you hear the heartfelt appeal from the apostle on the authority of Christ with his next words that he says from 2 Corinthians? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Oh, oh there's an authority here. And I don't have it by nature. It's God's authority. Built on the work of Jesus Christ built on the promises God made and God kept. There's an authority so important that God still calls and sends out preachers and teachers and staff ministers to bring this to people because it's on his own regal authority that he forgives sins and he wants you to have it. Be reconciled to God. And when he says that, he's not saying make your decision for Christ. He's not saying, you do this. You choose Jesus and bring him into your heart. This is another terrible teaching that's never found in the Bible. Nowhere in this lesson does it ever say, make your decision for Jesus. That you convert yourself. In fact, if you look again through all of these verses, it presents to you the fullness of the gospel. It presents to you the fullness of everything Jesus did. He died for you. He rose for you. He ended sin for you. He took the consequences for you. He stopped the tension for you. So important is this gospel that he keeps taking it further and it climaxes all the way in verse 21. Do you see how far God went for you? That God projected your sin, all of it, on Jesus when he was on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The sin of the world was put on him. So that God could project on you the fullness of everything Christ won with his life and death and resurrection. His righteousness. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Just imagine God projecting that on you today. Because he does. It's the gospel that changes your heart. 
It's the gospel that changes your mind. It's the gospel that wins you by Christ's love that draws you in. It's the gospel that gives you the forgiveness of sins. It's the gospel that strengthens your faith and tells you all of this is yours. You're not against God anymore. He's brought you in line with him. You have the status of saint in Jesus Christ. All of it's fully yours because of what he did for you in Jesus. Be reconciled to God. And where that tension is stopped, then please help stop the tension. Support your called workers. Support the gospel ministry. And let the gospel shape such a mindset and heart in you that you see the world of people the same way Paul and his apostles did too, and co-workers. That you would see every single person as a blood-bought soul of Jesus Christ. And we would work together to take the gospel out to the world and stop the tension. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God which surpasses our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join in the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Mary's Son, in the fullness of time you came into, into our world to save us from sin and death. Beloved Son of the Father, revered by the Magi, baptized by John, you came preaching and teaching, healing and comforting, forgiving and encouraging. Prince of Peace, shine like a beacon for us and the people of our world. Let the good news of salvation be heard in the remotest corners of, our, of the earth. Open our own lips to speak your name to those around us who still live without faith or hope. Lord of the Church, let your peace rule our hearts that we may use our gifts to serve you and each other in willing gratitude and joy. Watch over our loved ones near and far that they may remember your love and rejoice in your salvation. Strengthen the faith of the sick and the disheartened. Give hope to those in despair and comfort those who mourn. Be gracious to all and lead us to reflect your love and your name. Lord, for 50 years you've preserved Tom and Debbie Ehrenberg and blessed their marriage. We praise you for your faithfulness to them. Give them years together, many more, and keep them always close to you. By the miracle of baptism this morning, you will call Landon Kakuk to have life to the full. Raise him up to trust you all his days and to live with you all his days. We also rejoice with Tim and Tabitha Dekinich for the healthy birth of daughter number three, whom they named Abigail. Protect them all and help this growing family by filling their home with wisdom, faith, and love. And hear us, Lord, as we now pray in silence. Finally, bring us and all your believers to the heavenly home where we will stand in the full light of your glory and with all your saints and angels sing the everlasting song of triumph.
please stand for prayer. Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning. May we so hear them, relearn and take them to heart, that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may cling to the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Please be seated and just note for our next hymn, it's 746. If you're following along in the hymnal, that middle verse is actually going to be verse 7. So verse 1, 7, and 3, but they'll be right, right on the screen. everyone. Welcome to Guests and Visitors. Love having you come. Please worship with us again. A lot of announcements in the bulletin. Uh, the calendar's lengthy for this week ahead. And uh, just to let you know on the back page, we had a pastor's conference uh, this past Monday and Tuesday and the district president of our uh, one of our 12 districts, but our particular one